regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad that you've joined us on the uh, program today. Coming up in a matter of moments, we're going to talk with Mr. Chuck Michelle. He is the uh, president and general counsel for the California Rifle and Pistol Association. We're going to talk about a, a case out of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, a case I guess that's been in. It's not out of yet. In fact, it is uh, still in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. This the uh, case of Duncan versus Becerra, a challenge to California's magazine ban. That's right, ban on magazines that can hold more than 10 rounds. Uh, originally, this ban was put in place, I believe, back in the uh, 1990s, uh, and there was a grandfather clause, so you cannot buy a, a magazine that could hold more than 10 rounds of ammunition. But if you owned one, you could keep it. That changed a few years ago. California lawmakers decided that, no, 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 no. Actually, even if you've owned these uh, magazines for you know well over a decade, uh, we want you to get rid of them. Yeah, either take them out of state, either hand them over, but you can't keep them. Uh, that law was challenged, and a, a U.S. District Court judge ruled that the ban was unconstitutional. The case was then appealed by the state of California up to the Ninth Circuit, where a three-judge panel affirmed that lower court decision, ruling that California's magazine ban violated the constitutional rights of Californians. Now the Ninth Circuit is going to take another crack at this. An en banc review has been granted, which means a broader panel of justice or judges rather on the Ninth Circuit uh, will reconsider this case. Ultimately, of course, um, the goal is to get this case to the Supreme Court. Uh, but we're going to talk with Chuck Michelle about uh, what this en banc decision might mean, as well as a couple of other cases that are still percolating uh, in the Ninth Circuit. Uh, you've got uh, Rody versus Becerra. That is a challenge to the background check requirements on ammunition sales in the state, as well as a ban on Californians actually buying ammunition out of the side of the state of California and then bringing it in to the state. Uh, we may even touch on the uh, case Young versus Hawaii. That's not a case that uh, Chuck is um, uh, involved in. He's not the attorney of record there, but uh, this is another Ninth Circuit case. We've been waiting more than 100 days, actually, for the uh, Ninth Circuit to issue its en banc opinion in Young versus Hawaii. Uh, that case deals with the right to carry, uh, specifically challenging Hawaii's ban on open carry without a license, a license that the state of Hawaii does not give anyone. And so in essence, uh, with concealed carry and open carry theoretically allowed, but uh, practically speaking prohibited, uh, this may be a, a good vehicle for the Supreme Court to weigh in uh, on our right not just to keep, but our right to bear arms. So a lot to talk about with Chuck and Michelle. Let's get started. Take a look and a listen. Hey, Chuck, thanks so much, sir, for coming on the program. It's good talking with you today. Always a pleasure, Cam. Glad to be here. And there's uh, no shortage of things to talk about, but uh, but let's get started with the uh, Ninth Circuit's decision to rehear uh, the uh, Duncan versus Becerra case. This is the uh, magazine ban challenge in California. Was were you? Um, I mean, was this expected? Were you, were you anticipating any other decision other than the Ninth Circuit saying, "All right, we want to take another look at this"? Well. <clears throat> We were hopeful, but uh, realistically, there are some leaders on the Ninth Circuit Court, Justice Thomas among them, who really uh, have been very, very active in fighting against any expansion of uh, Second Amendment protections. They want to basically give us a Second Amendment with no teeth, 
and all of the decisions that they've handed down so far have effectively advanced that sort of an agenda. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the refreshing thing about the three-judge panel ruling in the Duncan case was that uh, they finally saw the light, so to speak. They, they recognized that the government should be held to its duty of proving that a, a law uh, that, that, that restricts your right to keep and bear arms has to actually accomplish something, and the government's the one that has to prove that it does. So we were hopeful that they would recognize the wisdom in that three-judge panel ruling, but not surprised when they didn't. And so now we'll see what happens. Uh, it's not a foregone conclusion that we'll get so many uh, hostile judges that we won't be able to win in the Ninth Circuit, Pan Bonk, because the Trump administration has changed the balance there fairly significantly. Uh, but I'm afraid that it is going to come down to sort of the luck of the draw on what 11 judge panel we get for the en banc hearing. Yeah. And as you say, um, the Ninth Circuit is not the court that it was four or five years ago. There is not quite 50 50 parity between uh, Republican appointed uh, judges and Democrat appointed judges. And of course, uh, you, you have some uh, Republican appointed judges who've, you know, gone. Uh, against the uh, the desires of gun owners, you've actually had uh, you know some Democrat appointees that have uh, been able to to uh, treat the Second Amendment as a real right. So you you know, but but again, as you say, the the balance certainly um, looks a lot better than it did a few years ago. But but you know, as you say, Chuck, uh, you know, obviously your position is the magazine ban is unconstitutional. California's position is, well, no, it's not. So now we get into the the question of, all right, well, how do these courts decide uh, whether or not these laws are an infringement or an unconstitutional burden uh, on the part of gun owners? And then it gets back to, uh, you know, what 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 standard of review is being used here? Right. And this is something that the Supreme Court has. uh, We've heard from, you know, folks like uh, Justice uh, Thomas, uh, Justice Gorsuch, Justice Alito. Um, that these lower courts are are misreading the Heller decision, they're misreading McDonald, and they're basically taking an approach that uh, that, that approves uh, every gun control law uh, under the uh, the attitude of well, if the, if the government wants it, they must have a good reason for it. Yeah, I, I, you know this was this was <laughs> Justice Scalia saw this coming in the Heller decision when the dissents in that case argued for some kind of a watered-down standard of review. And he said, that's not going to fly. You can't, you can't do that. Uh, so he rejected uh, uh, sort of an intermediate scrutiny uh, standard of review that was proposed in the dissents in the Heller decision. But effectively, what we've got is the standard of review that was being advocated for by the dissents in Heller, a watered-down standard, uh, but it's just been given a different name. So now it's uh, uh, the same kind of interest balancing test that Scalia warned against, where judges can basically put their finger on the thumb or their thumb on the scales, I should say, of uh, of the decision and and just find that they're, uh, you know, that it's outside the scope of the Second Amendment's protections to begin with, or that when you do some interest balancing, public safety outweighs everything. It's just very easy to manipulate. And Justice Scalia saw that in the Heller decision. But we've been fighting for, you know, since 2008 to get the courts to respect what he said and to apply a standard of review when you're considering a constitutional challenge to a gun control law 
that actually respects the Second Amendment and doesn't treat it like, as Justice Thomas said, uh, a, a second class right. Yeah. And in, and in terms of, uh, you know, that uh, that 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 interest balancing test um, in the Ninth Circuit, you know, states like California haven't even had to prove uh, that there actually is a public safety benefit. All they have to do is claim that there's a public safety benefit. I'm, I'm thinking to the micro stamping challenge uh, in right. particular, where this is a law that manufacturers literally could not comply with. Uh, there's no evidence that it had reduced violent crime. There was a lot of evidence that it reduced the uh, ability of legal gun owners to acquire commonly owned firearms uh, elsewhere across the United States. And, and the Ninth Circuit basically just said, well, it, it, you know, it doesn't even really matter uh, if it's a bad law. If it's a bad law, they can always repeal it. Uh, but but they say that they need it. So we should let them have it. Right. This is this is the, the a huge problem in all, in all litigation against the government is this deference this acceptance of deference to government findings, acceptance of blind acceptance of government findings. You don't question what they what the government says its rationale for a law is. And that's exactly what uh, is supposed to be different about a constitutional challenge or a, a constitutional challenge to a law. You're not supposed to take the government's word for it. The government has to prove that what it's saying is uh, for the justification for any given law is true. And that the law will actually accomplish something that is a is a public interest, and they've been just given a pass on most of this stuff. Uh, the courts do not uh, look at it carefully enough, and that's what's so refreshing about some of the jurisprudence coming out of California from uh, the San Diego court and now from the Ninth Circuit. They're actually applying; uh, they're holding the government to its burden of actually justifying its actions. And they're looking at its evidence and saying, "You, nothing here shows that, that this policy that you're advancing is justified. Uh, so, you know, they, they say, the government says that magazines that hold over 10 rounds have no self-defense value. Well, wait a minute, they're used all the time to defend people. Uh, you know, the reality of uh, uh, exchanges of gunfire in a self-defense situation is that you often need more than 10 rounds in order to effectively defend yourself, even from one uh, attacker, but certainly from several. And so that's the kind of thing that courts would just close their eyes to in the past and say, oh, well, if the government says so, then we're going to accept it. Well, no, that's not how it's supposed to work. And that's what Duncan stands for. So we'll see what happens when we get 11 judges uh, having a look at it. But if that doesn't work, you know, this ultimately the Supreme Court has to take a case to to reset the the, the, the test, to reset the balance of what's going to happen with the, with the, the standard of review on all these cases. It's, it's that whatever the Supreme Court says is going to uh, dictate what the appropriate review is for Second Amendment cases for, you know, decades to come, which is why it's so critical and so uh, good that we have, I think now, even without Justice Roberts, who was mm-hmm. kind of a wobbler, uh, a, a strong five justice majority that uh, on the Supreme Court that respects the Second Amendment and will give it the the uh, the teeth that it deserves to have to stop uh, governments from passing laws that they just can't justify, but that they want to, you know, they want to hold a press conference and say they did something. Yeah. Well, and, and to that end, uh, this isn't a California case, but uh, in just a few weeks, the Supreme Court is scheduled to hear in conference uh, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Corlett, 
uh, which is a challenge to New York's licensing regime. And I, I thought it was interesting. I was reading the uh, the brief uh, from Letitia James, the Attorney General of New York, uh, to the Supreme Court, and basically she argues. Uh, look, there is no split in the circuits. Everybody agrees that uh, that there is a right to carry, um, but uh, the 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 difference uh, between you know, let's say, a DC's Court of Appeals, which struck down the district's good cause requirement, uh, and the Second Circuit, which has upheld uh, New York's uh, good cause requirement, uh, she says, is that you know, the the the, the licensing regime in New York is uh, not nearly as restrictive. Uh, as it was in Washington D.C., and and so you've, I think you've got two issues here at play. First, as you talk about these lower courts have abused the standard of review. So even when you find courts in agreement with one another, it doesn't mean that any one of those courts is making the right decision. Uh, and in fact, they're just sort of aiding and abetting each other in uh, using that lowered standard of review. But but secondly, this idea that well, because our law looks a little bit different than D.C.'s law, uh, then there are some sort of fundamental differences here. It, there, there is no fundamental difference. I mean, you can go back to the Peruta case in California or the Young case that's currently in the, the Ninth Circuit. Uh, all of these issues when it comes to the right to carry basically boil down to can the average citizen right. carry a firearm for self-defense? And if they can't, why is that not a violation of their constitutional rights? Right. The, 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 the test that they want to apply is in California, for example, to get a concealed license, concealed uh, carry permit, you need to show some kind in most jurisdictions of an articulable threat. Basically, you need to show here's the the, the death threat I got, and here's the name and address of the guy who who sent it to me. So I actually am have this fear for my life. Well, so almost no one has that, obviously, and so they treat it like a privilege. Only those few people who can establish that high of a threat can get a license. Well. Just because in New York, maybe you don't have to have the guy's signature on the threat, or maybe it's slightly less, so a few more people get the license, that doesn't solve the problem. You don't, you shouldn't have to be under some kind of imminent threat in order to be able to get a license to have a gun, uh, uh, in it, to be able to possess a gun in a situation where you might be threatened, where you're, where you might be in danger, which is essentially all of us, as we walk around on the streets these days, uh, at any moment in time, you could become a crime victim. And that's what you need to be ready for. And that's what that's what Heller talked about. Uh, but they the, to try and say that there's not a split. That just cracks me up because uh, there are cer some circuits, you know, they, they they have shall issue, may issue and no issue. And in some circuits, uh, uh, no issue has been struck down. And in other cases, no issue has been upheld. So that's a split. So the, the, night, the Supreme Court really should take that case. It's very much like the New Jersey case that was their last session that mm -hmm. they did not take. And Justice Thomas was very adamant about how they should have. Uh, and now with Justice Barrett on there, uh, hopefully they'll take that New York case. Knock on wood. Uh, we will know hopefully again in a few weeks. Uh, now, listen, before we let you go, uh, not that you're billing this interview by the hour, thankfully, but uh, before we let you go, I do want to ask you about another case uh, out of California, Rody versus Becerra. Uh, this dealing with uh, this bizarre law in California that requires background checks on ammo sales, prohibits California residents from purchasing ammunition out of state and then bringing it back to California. Right. Where, wh where does that case stand right now, Chuck? 
That's uh, uh, sitting in the Ninth Circuit uh, and probably held up because they're waiting to see what happens in the Duncan case, too. Uh, because, again, the standard of review doesn't just apply to one case. It, the magazine ban, it applies to everything. But tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people have been stopped from being able to get a hold of, of ammunition or have to pay exorbitant amounts of money, uh, uh, you know, uh, several times the cost of a box of ammo to uh, get the state's permission to buy ammunition. And it, when they looked at the evidence in that one, they saw that they really were not stopping uh, bad guys from getting ammunition. They were just creating red tape to make it more difficult for good guys to get ammunition. And that's part of the game. The more red tape they can have, they can red tape a right to death. You don't have to mm -hmm. outright ban something to basically kill it, ban it. Uh, because if you make it so difficult for people to jump through hoops to get a gun or to get ammunition, they throw up their hands and give up. And so the, the and that's part of the plan. They don't want, uh, uh, people who are not, you know, uh, diehard, uh, Second Amendment advocates or advocate activists. Anybody who's just thinking about, I might want to go get a gun to go sh see what shooting at the range is all about or to have one to defend my family. They want to make so many put so many barriers in the way to do that cost and red tape and, and, and forms and whatever else they can do that people just, you know, they, they go do something else. Uh, and then the number of gun owners dwindles and the political clout of gun owners dwindles. And that's part of the plan of the folks who really don't want to have gun owners being a political force. Absolutely. Well, listen, Chuck, again, I really appreciate your time today, uh, getting us caught up on what's going on here. Uh, I know we'll be calling on you in the weeks ahead. Uh, is there anything else that uh, California gun owners in particular need to know about? I, I Where are we legislatively? Um, well, that's, that's a good question. Uh, folks really need to get plugged into the CRPA, the, the legislative the potential bills are just starting to come out, one of which is a huge gun tax, uh, which we're going to be fighting. But the best way to stay informed on this stuff is to go to CRPA.org and subscribe and, you know, join CRPA, be part of the fight. You know, we've got all these new gun owners out here. Hopefully they, uh, as they went through the process of buying a gun, they got a, a, a firsthand uh, uh, look at how many uh, hoops they have to jump through just to get a gun, and hopefully they appreciate how unnecessary most of that is, and they become politically active. And so getting involved with CRPA will keep you uh, informed, even if you don't join. Just go subscribe and, and stay informed because the, the California legislature, you know, they've never met a gun control law they didn't like. And uh, COVID may be slowing them down, but it's not stopping them. Uh, and uh, so folks need to stay informed about what's going on there and help us fight back in that rigged legislative environment. Absolutely. Chuck Michelle, President and General Counsel of the California Rifle and Pistol Association. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. My pleasure, Cam. Anytime. Have you back soon. Always pro bono for you, by the way. <laughs> I appreciate that, my friend. We'll talk soon. Appreciate Chuck joining us on the program, uh, crpa.org. That is the website. They also, by the way, a fantastic uh, magazine. You remember what magazines are? You know, the uh, the glossy things you read and they got art. Fantastic uh, magazine, uh, Firing Line. I actually am a subscriber. I get it in my uh, mailbox. There is all kinds of great information. So truly, if you are a California gun owner, 
Uh, I urge you to support the CRPA. In fact, if you're not a California gun owner and you've got a, a couple of bucks to kick into a Second Amendment organization that uh, is, is fighting the good fight on very unfavorable terrain, uh, I would encourage you to uh, to join the California Rifle and Pistol Association as a member as well. All right, let's uh, get now to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, our recidivist report. We will start there with a, a case out of Kalamazoo, Michigan, where a man charged with shooting a domestic violence victim has been sentenced to probation and time served. Please tell me. Please tell me, gun control advocates, that uh, the answer to this is more gun laws rather than better enforcement of the laws that are already on the books. This is unreal. 24-year-old Juan Cortez Richards pleaded guilty on January the 12th to domestic violence, third offense, third offense, by the way, still gets probation and time served. And an assault charge, along with two weapons felony firearms charges, were dismissed. A witness intimidation charge was dismissed as well. The agreement, according to MLive.com, stipulated that Richards, who had already served 240 days in jail in the case, would serve no more jail time relative to the charges as long as he adheres to the rules of his probation. The uh, circuit judge in this case, Pamela Lightvit, said she wasn't happy with the agreement when she sentenced Richards yesterday, Tuesday, March the 2nd. She said, quote, I know that there's an agreement here and I'm not thrilled with it. Well, who would be? I mean, other than Richards, who gets a slap on the wrist for a third domestic violence offense. Richards violated no contact orders involving his victim twice last June while he was out on bond. He was told he could not be within a thousand feet of the victim, her residence, place of employment or school. He was ordered to undergo anger management, domestic violence counseling as part of the probation that he was sentenced to on Tuesday. Uh, prior to the sentence being issued, Richards' defense attorney argued to the judge that the victim in this case had contacted Richards multiple times, stating that she had lied during his preliminary hearing and that he had filed a signed affidavit from her stating as such. Uh, the uh, defense attorney said, we can't look at testimony based on someone's word who then says that they're lying. Several allegations in the case could be corroborated only by the alleged victim. Well, again, given the fact that there was witness intimidation charges in this case, can we really be sure that she's telling the truth now? Or perhaps that she was intimidated by Richards into signing an affidavit containing falsehoods? I, again, I'm... I'm this is just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Kalamazoo Assistant uh, County Assistant Prosecutor Rebecca, Rebecca D'Angelo said it's not uncommon for domestic violence victims to recant their stories. And that doesn't mean that the events did not occur. She said, quote, the defendant pulled out a gun and actually repeatedly shot at this victim. Not only do we have the victim's statements that were made, but there was other cooperating testimony and evidence that was found to substantiate the victim's version of events. When looking not only at his outstanding criminal history, but also his involvement with this particular victim, although he only pled to one offense in this particular case, obviously it's the people's position that a whole lot more was going on here. The defendant is not very old and already now has his third domestic violence conviction on his record. There's a problem here. There is. And I appreciate the prosecutor saying that. But I also want to know why the hell did she take this plea deal? If, in fact, there was corroborating evidence that did not rely solely on the victim's statement, why offer Richards a plea deal? Why allow him to escape justice with a slap on the wrist and time served? And so far, we have not heard any explanation from the uh, prosecutor as to why this plea bargain was offered. We know, well, we know why it was accepted, but we have no idea why it was offered in the first place. Uh, today's armed citizen story. 
from the uh, where where is this from? It's from it's from the great state of Oregon, Vanita, Oregon. A resident in a rural Lane County scared off a burglar with a gun on Tuesday. That, according to the Lane County Sheriff's Office, KEZI TV, uh, reporting on the incident, they say the deputies arrived at this home just before 3 a.m. Residents told deputies there that an unknown man had broken into their home, had entered a bedroom when one of the residents armed himself with a handgun and chased the man out of the house. Uh, the burglar then reportedly returned to the home a short time later while the resident was on the phone with 911 and was scared off yet again. This time, the uh, homeowner discharging a round. Uh, deputies describe it as a, quote, warning shot as the burglar advanced on him. Suspect uh, fled. 37-year-old Jason Lackey picked up a, a short time later. He's now facing charges of driving under the influence, first and second degree burglary, first degree attempted theft, being a felon in possession of a firearm, as well as unlawful entry of a motor vehicle. And uh, finally today, our good deed of the day from Louisiana. Zachary, Louisiana, where a 94-year-old was saved after he was attacked by dogs thanks to the help of a neighbor, a good Samaritan who was uh, in the way. Uh, uh, Andrea Harris was just getting off of work. He was driving by. And he saw this 94-year-old man on the ground, dogs attacking him. He said, I saw five or six dogs attacking the gentleman, and I turned around, I made a U-turn, and I stayed on my horn when I first turned around to try to get the dog's attention. And I drove into the yard, and they were still on top of him, and he was kicking. And I was blowing my horn, and I drove all the way into the yard until the dogs moved back from him. He said, I didn't have any weapons, nothing to protect me but a long umbrella. That was all that I had. The uh, dogs in question apparently owned by the uh, neighbor's of the uh, 94-year-old who was attacked, David Waldron uh, is the uh, gentleman's name. Uh, neighbors say that this is not the first time that the dogs have caused problems. They've actually attacked livestock in the area, according to uh, other neighbors. Uh, Zachary Police Chief David McDavid says that uh, animal control stuff might have picked up some of the dogs that attacked Waldron on Monday morning, but they are not sure if they have managed to uh, round up all of the uh, canines. So in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to, I, I mean, really likely save the the life of this 94-year-old uh, who was attacked. All credit uh, to Andre Harris for uh, his very, very good deed. All right, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. want to thank you for being a part of the program, as always. Tomorrow, scheduled to speak with Mr. Philip Smith. He is the head of the National African American Gun Association. And uh, looking forward to our conversation. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Town Hall Media on YouTube. That way you'll never miss a Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. You can also subscribe on Rumble to Bearing Arms, Cam and Company, or Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, townhall.com's podcast page as well. We try to make it very easy for you to access the program, and we certainly do appreciate your support. Until we talk again, be well. Beef? No, no, no. I say I almost got ahead of myself. Be well. <laughs> be safe. And be free.